I watch people give advice completely predicated on natural talent and DNA and I'm like, look, like I get it, like I can throw a football every day for nine hours a day, I'm just not physically built to be competitive at the highest levels. So yeah, I do think, you know, if anybody watching right now, if there's anything they take away, it's like, look, like you're gonna only be so pretty, you're only gonna be so smart, like, you, like th- there's, there's things that are gonna be natural and then there's things that you can actually control. I do believe, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong, I don't, but I do believe that work ethic is a taught behavior. It's something you do have more control over. So much of what I've always felt as an entrepreneur was a vulnerability of a school system is not the cliche stuff that you might see in my content, but just by nature, all of us spending the majority of our youth in a system that grades us every 90 days and we pander to a subjective reality within that really sets us up to eliminate our creativity and our curiosity, makes us subconsciously conform to the short term and inherently makes us lack patience. The other thing I'm spending a lot of time on is how much we struggle with our relationship in time and with time. Uh, you know, we get sold so many things like life is short, which, you know, I think all of us at this point know, depending on the context that you look at a statement or a situation, it changes the altercation. But so many of the rules in society of when you're supposed to have your life figured out, get married, accomplish, is predicated on a world where people live to 45 years old. It's just the reality of it. So much of what we're affected by is how our grandparents were affected by their parents and grandparents, and those were dying at 40. Of course you should have your life figured out at 30 when you're dead at 47. But we haven't adjusted. You know, 1880 may seem a long time ago, but it's stunningly not. And when life expectancy is in the late 30s and early 40s, and now we're 75, 85, 90, 95, I just think that there's so much confusion in the system, and I just think that we need to have different conversations. Let me give you an example. A different conversation that we need in the business world, that's where I'll keep it, but it's clearly a societal statement, is I'm genuinely struggling why anybody should not be kind. I've watched in the business world for the last 20 years, people justify being cruel to the people that they're a manager of or their admins because they're stressed. I'm sorry I scolded you, you don't get it, the client had me in a bad day. We have completely accepted bad behavior off of, I'm really passionate about this. If you're a leader by by nature, your job is to stop pressure at your level, not deploy more, more of it underneath you. I think that we need to just do better. And I think that I'm passionate at this point in my life to really start talking about the nuances that are very clear to me, that sustainable things are grounded in very good virtues and that we have to start recognizing that soft skills will continue to dominate and gain momentum because hard skills are starting to be commoditized. The most insecure place I've ever been in was the fear of confrontation which blows people's mind because on, st- on stage in public persona, it's m- candor is my strength. But in real life, I hated candor 
because my father was very aggressive with candor, but very negative. And I wasn't able to separate the vehicle he was deploying the candor in from the value of candor. So for 25 years of my career, I was anxious every time I decided somebody had to get fired. It completely put me into spirals. I would avoid it. It was always sloppy. It, to a T, every person that's ever been close to me in business that works for me or worked for me that doesn't love me is based on one thing, my inability to be candorous. And it's been a very big shift for me in the last three, four years. The new book is called 12 and a half. It's about 13 attributes, but I call it 12 and a half because I'm only halfway through my journey on kind candor. And I needed to create the word kind in front of candor to even begin to deploy candor. And it has led to an incredible amount of unhappiness in my life and career was my inability to be candorous, which is wild because my content is incredibly candorous because I'm not talking to anybody. I'm talking to everybody. But when it's Steve or Sally or Johnny or Nicole or Karen, it's, it was very hard for me. And so now I do it. While they're called the Federal Reserve Bank, they're not federal, it's not a federal entity. It says so on their website. They're not a reserve because they don't keep any cash reserves anywhere. And they're not a bank. You and I can't go there to deposit money. So what do they do? They control and oversee our money system in the United States. And one of the things that they're able to do is influence how much money is out there. They can print money and they can take money away. Well, when you print money, pieces of paper, without producing more wealth, what happens? The value of each individual dollar goes down because you can't just produce more wealth. You can't print more wealth, but you can print money. And so this money, this pieces of paper, then loses value. And we've been seeing this happen for, for a long time. Whenever you print more money, the value of each individual dollar goes down, which then in effect causes the price of things to go up. That's why $100 today cannot buy you what $100 could 20 years ago. And it's why $100 today can't buy you what $100 could 100 years ago. But what does that mean when we go back to the topic of you know the system that we were just talking about? Well, inflation, the whole purpose of it, because the Federal Reserve Bank doesn't want 0% inflation. If you listen to anything that they say, they say that they have a target of 2% inflation. But why 2%? Why this random number? Why not 0%? Why do we want any inflation? Well, because it's their way of growing this system. See, inflation disproportionately benefits the financially educated and the wealthy, and inflation disproportionately hurts the financially uneducated and the poor. Because when you don't understand inflation, well, you're the one that's paying the price. If you leave your money in the bank and your bank is paying you 0.1% a year in interest, while inflation is five, six, seven percent a year, you're losing value in the bank. Your savings are slowly losing value each and every day because you're saving your money. Now, this doesn't mean you shouldn't save any money, this means you have to know how to save your money strategically. That means save your money for an emergency, save your money for an investment, or save your money for a big purchase. But then beyond that, why are you putting cash aside? Well, it should be to invest. But now going back to that question of the system, right? What does inflation do? It grows the economic system. It encourages more spending, more dollars out there. And so who does that benefit? It benefits the economy, it benefits the investors who own a piece of the system, but it hurts the people. Because if you don't understand this, what happens? 
Oh, maybe you got a raise because of inflation. Great. People spend more money. Great. But now you're poorer today than you were a few years ago. Even though it might look like you have the same bank balance, even though you might have gotten a raise because the prices of everything around you have gone up faster than your income. And that's why today you have people struggling more than they were 50 years ago. 50 years ago in 1970 or early 1970s, you'd have one person going to work, the man of the house. And they would have one income. And the one income would allow a family to survive comfortably, have a nice home, have a nice car, and have a nice vacation. Today, you have the majority of households are two-income households, and people are struggling to buy homes. People are struggling to afford a car. People are struggling to have any sort of freedom to go on a vacation or really do anything. Even though we have two-income households today, as opposed to one-income households in the 1970s. So what's the difference? The value of the dollar is dropping. This grows the system. This benefits people who understand the system, the investors, the financially educated, but it comes at a price. And the price is at the expense of regular people. This is why now, when you understand this, you have to change the way you look at money and change the things that you do use with your money. Because if you're making money just to spend it, well, now you're making everybody else rich at the expense of your own wealth. What I'm saying is make yourself rich before you make everybody else rich. I don't want you to never have the nice things. I want you to have the nice car. I want you to go on the nice vacations. I want you to have the nice home, but I want you to be able to afford it first. And right now, the most important thing financially is to make yourself rich first. And ironically, the people that are looking rich are sacrificing their real richness. But if you want to actually become rich, well, you're not going to be looking rich when you're trying to become rich. Building wealth is a very simple formula. Spend less than what you make and invest the difference. Period. Now, if you want to achieve more wealth, you need to invest more money. How can you invest more money? You can spend less money or you can earn more money. It's as simple as that.